that is, God reveals his glory to all nations so that he may, he may receive glory from all creation. We've, uh, we've talked about glory being the, the distinctive beauty of any, any uh, created matter and uh, person or entity, and particularly the creator, abounding in the beauty and the distinctive feature of his personality and, and goodness, everything about him. When that's recognized and spoken of, is to glorify it. And, uh, and to exalt it. But it's also something about honor and shame because it's a relational thing. Is that, and to glorify something is actually to recognize its high place and cause it to be recognized before others. So when we look at a sunset, we're, we're speaking uh, the praise of just, you know, inanimate light passing through, you know, water um, vapor and stuff like that. But when we behold a person and brag on them about how good they're doing, how honored they are, and do it before them, then we're honoring them before others. And in a, in a very real sense, we're honoring them, and that, that, that honor is really part and parcel of what it means to glorify. And so when we praise God before each other and, and, uh, and, and publicly, this kind of stuff or anything like that, we're actually exalting God which is part of what it means to glorify him too. And, and this clumsy language, um, I was just with Bob Fitz, we made up this song, you know, we place you high above all else, you know, and as if, as if it's up to us to kind of, like, like kids with blocks, you know, say, well, we'll put that one on top, you know. And so, yeah, it's a very elementary and, and, so, and so, so simplex that it's mistaken to say we place God high above all else. But actually, when we, when we identify him and speak, clearly of how he's revealed himself and honor him before one another uh, that does distinctively lift him up and sanctify him as the biblical language uh, lift and distinguish from anything else and so that we exalt God's name and, uh, and, and God is trying to exalt his name now why? there's a little review here why would God make his name great? why would he make himself not just God is greater than all the gods he's actually different than all the gods he does things differently and uh, he's, he's holy, then he's altogether unique. Why, why has he gone to great lengths throughout history to exalt his name? He's worthy of it, flat out. But he also, if you look at a timeline, that worthiness, he's worthy of more than he ever has had, and he has, he's unfolding a plan. And that's what we tracked on. What are some of the incidents in that plan? There's no, he can't be wrong in this. He can seem just about anything in the Bible. But the Exodus was a big curse splash, a big public expose of who God was. What are some other events that we talked about? Building the temple, a place for his name to dwell, we find. The captivity turns out to be the whole thing, the beginning, the middle, the end of it. If you really examine the, the prophetic record, it's all to do with what God did name or not. How the people treated his, his, uh, his, his glory and so the captivity. So it turns out that you can't find a crucial juncture of the story of God's people. There is no major turning point or issue or event that, 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 that the, the Bible given rationale for why is that happening is God's doing something for his glory. You put all those events together, you've got a powerful saga. You've got something that's really happening. And it's not stopped happening. It is, it is what the story is. 
and if you want to make sense of your life, it's best to make sense in, term, in, that, in that context instead of otherwise. So that's what we have come through, having explored har, you know, hardly anything but the main big feature events. We've gone through the story uh, in short order, uh, and not the end. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna tack on more about Jesus after we see another part of the story. But we've gone through God revealing his glory first two lessons. Now we're going to start God receiving glory. And that and we're going to over we're going to overlay on the same some of the same t- timeline events. We're going to track through the story as if we were tracking with God receiving glory from all nations. And so it's going to interweave with what we've already learned. So we've we've done the public thing, God's God's downstroke, exposing himself in a in a way that he can be exalted, known, recognized, revealing himself so he can be worshipped, honored, and have distinctive worship. So tonight we're going to talk about um, God's um, God's uh, glory, what worship really is all about. Does that make sense, where we're going? I think it's important because what I'm trying to leave you with is this story that you're in the middle of. And I'm, I'm not trying to lock you into it, but I don't know what you'd ever want to live for other than this. Um, and, and then to know him, not, not to, it's not like this big communist cause, you know, and you know that that this is what's got to happen. It's it's the, this great person that you're uh, you're serving and knowing. Okay, so we're going to be. Uh, you can see the outline there. Um, talking about he receives number one worship, uh, a transaction of glory. I'm going to be um, describing first what worship is as a transaction of glory. We're going to pick up the story very early. Cain and Abel. That's got to be. I hope you got your Bible story sorted out. That's. That's that's first generation stuff. That's that's right there. Um, it, it could be, uh, uh, yeah, w- way early on. Anyway, um, but before we get into that, I, I want to let's pray together. The Spirit of God will help us to learn of Him. Lord, we recognize Your presence, and we uh, will touch this thing of of worship. And um, as, uh, as Paul said, we worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we know that something, uh, something about glorying is something about worshiping and vice versa. And we just invite your spirit here uh, in this room, in our hearts and minds, any, any, any portion of us can be penetrated and searched out and known. And uh, we don't think you'd have any trouble making something known to us that lies hidden or is complex or difficult. Something in our own heart that is, is shadowing or blocking from view the goodness that you are. We invite your spirit. Go ahead, Lord Jesus. Do your stuff and, and soften us. Recalibrate our minds. We invite you, Lord Jesus, by your spirit. Amen. Okay. Now, um, the, uh, the, the, the first worship, uh, worship before the face of God, now I'm um, I'm going back to Genesis four on this, and it says uh, Genesis four verse two that Abel was to keep her flocks, came to till the ground. Let me just mention to you why I think they're before the face of God. Oh no, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit uh, later. They, the, the, this first worship uh, before the face of God came about the end of days, I don't know, end of a season or something like that. That Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, brought also the first things of his flock, the fat or the or, or the fattest of them. Now, um, neither of these are cheap offerings. Um, 
but uh, of, of the fruit of the ground. Some people have made a deal that, that Cain waited till the end of the season. If he waited, come in the earliest part of the season, would have been the first fruits or something like that. So you can complain about Cain's offering any number of ways. The second big argument is Cain's offering was. Um, it's not that it wasn't first fruits. It, it was. It was just. It was just vegetables. And God's not vegetarian. He's 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 a bloodthirsty something. He needs blood sacrifice. And we're talking we're talking an awful lot about blood sacrifice tonight and every other kind of offering we're going to go over tonight. So we're going to explore this. But I'm I'm trying to sort out something here. And um, and so uh, uh, let me just say for right now, could you set that sermon aside that's been preached that says that says Cain didn't do it right. It was incorrect. He should have killed something and God then would have been pleased because he had his sin to deal with. There's nothing here that, that would indicate really that, he, that, that this offering had anything to do with I've sinned and I'm sorry and would you forgive me. Instead, it's just a free will offering. It's like, here God, here's, here's, here's who I am. Here's what I made and grew. The fruit of my life, the fruit of my labors willingly offered to God. You see that? Both of them from their own their own occupation, they bring to God what's expensive and what's actually them. And in fact, in fact, what they're doing is they're lifting to God uh, emblems of their own productive life, their glory as it were, which makes them distinctive, see, and they lifted that before God. And uh, and, and, and look at this, what, how God looked at it. And the Lord had no regard for The literal is he, he, Lord had regard for in verse 4. He gazed upon Abel and for his offering. Note that it, he didn't just gaze on the offering and say, Wow, that is what I like. I like that offering. That's the good stuff. No, he, he gazed upon Abel. He gazed on the person, the giver with his gift. And, and uh, it, it, the most simple sentence I've ever uh, heard about worship that explains the dynamic of it is the gift brings the giver. I made up that sentence, but it, I, I still, I'm still marvel at it. The gift brings the giver. That's what I found in my life. Is just, you extend yourself to God and, uh, and somehow I can't, get my, I can't lift myself to God just uh, as if I was lighter than air and I just sauntered up to heaven and, and God liked me and I'm, I'm, I'm just, I just feel spiritual closeness. Somehow some tangible token, some emblem, some piece of my identity to extend to Him how, whatever it is, you know, and I tangibly give myself. And that's how we exchange uh, with each other. Even down to the handshake, we just extend somehow Birthday gift, Christmas gift, whatever it is, just just we just we're gift givers, and the, with the gift we're sealing uh, we're sealing that we're really extending ourselves to each other. Worship really has that that same essential relational dynamic. So what what's going on here is gift with giver extended before God. Cain Cain and his offering, God had no regard. God did not gaze upon it. God didn't look on it. So Cain became very angry and his face was downcast. Now notice the, the faces going on here. God's face was altogether manifest. I'll say that again. God was manifest. What do you mean? You say, they were thrown out of the garden and they, 
the angel with the sword and everything and, and it was the fall had already happened. They were, they were gone from God. It doesn't say that at all. It's just they couldn't get to the tree. And what you have here, I'm, I'm confident, is that God was um, not, uh, had not veiled himself from the sight of men and women. And the, the extra grounds for that would be at the end of, um, in the middle of uh, chapter 4. Um, oh no, didn't have it. Oh yeah, verse 16 of chapter 4 says, Then Cain went out from the presence, literally, he went out from before the face. Where am I here? What is this? Uh, went out from before the, the presence the face of the Lord and dwelt in the sign of Nod wandering. So we don't need to get in the, wander into that right now. But verse 16, he left from the face of God. God's face was obvious. How else would Cain have seen that God wasn't checking him out, but, but staring at, at Abel, his brother, with his gift? You see what I'm saying there? So God's favor, his, his, uh, his honor, actually God's gaze was, was an honor, a distinctive thing. And what Cain did with his face, the, that's the part of you that you do relationship with, he, he turned away. It was downcast. And it wasn't just that he was depressed, there was a rejective, there was, a, there, there, was a, there was an about face there somehow. And, uh, and the Lord said, why are you angry, verse 6, and why is your face downcast? If you do well, surely you will be exalted. See, see that exalting language? See what the Bible's all about is honor, shame, honor, glory, lifting, exalting, and about the embarrassment and shame and, 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 uh, and uh, putting down. If you do not do well, sin is lying at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And uh, we'll get into that in a minute. But, but you, do, I, the points I want to first make is the first worship is right before the face of God and the gift brings the giver. And, and this is, as I read it, intrinsically human. It magnificently human. That, that, uh, that, that what, it, what it is to be created human beings is, is to not just recognize who God is, but to give him who we are and to be received of him and and to be admired and delighted in by God with pleasure that's what was going on and yet what 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 took over here and uh, now here's here's another reason why it's not that Cain didn't do the blood sacrifice because he should have been sorry for his sin that is a back read from our situation now which is obviously much later and in which sin is far more advanced and developed and we know about that and, and, and anyway the, the medieval uh, fixation on our, my sin is the issue and the pivot point of all history and, and, and I want to get rid of my sin so I don't go through purgatories if that's all what God made hell for is to purge out my sin see the sin fixation ourselves and even liturgies begin this way you know, to, to cleanse yourself from sin and, you, and if once you start that way you never really escape it and you're just locked in on me getting changed and, and instead God, something wonderful from you is to be exchanged to the living God and, and, and actually to receive his lift if you do well will you not be exalted now the point I'm trying to say here is Cain was in line for every bit as much 
of the pleasure and the honor as, as Abel was. And God does not say, man, it was just the wrong gift. I mean, he just, he, don't you know, you kill something, then I, then I feel better. He said, there's something, something wacko in, in you, something untamed. And he, and he points out this thing about desire. There's something alive with, with desire in you, and you've got to master it. Now, I, I, I don't know, it's almost, it says there's something bestial uh, that, that's alive in you. It's crouching at the door. You're on the verge of something. Now, what was going on, I think, is a, a desiring for this very kind of exaltation. Now, this is, as the heart and soul, what we mean by a, a practical passion. Remember I said passion is really just, just freedom to pursue and engage and grip onto your highest desire. And usually we're, we're gripping littler and lesser desires. And we, we got our desiring machinery all screwed up and perversed and we're satisfied with little and so we, we, we don't set our hopes on the highest thing. What God does in Christ is, is somehow strike us, just smite us right to the heart with the love of God in Christ. And it says in Romans 5 that we exult in hope of the glory of God. You know, and, 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 and even if we have tribulation, it works about patience, and patience brings about hope because God doesn't disappoint because the love for God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And we come out hoping again. Hoping for what? Hoping for, it says it in the Bible, the glory of God. And, and, and that's to be exactly what this, what, what our great uncle Cain was told, will I not exalt you? See, what we don't realize is when, and, and I want you to really lay hold of this, without being a heretic, you know, you can overdo this, that what, what worship really does is it, is, it does, is it exalts primarily God, but as it's transactional, as He receives you, that is the finest, highest kind of exaltation you could ever consider. That He would lift you and smile on you and be pleased and receive your gift. But better, receive you. And it's an honor and a distinctive glory for you. You can see it played out right in, in chapter 1 of worship. Human beings shut out, shut out from the tree of knowledge, not sealed away from God, end of the first season. And what comes up is, is within us there's this animal-like desire that we've got to master. We've got to, in other words, be the master of it and direct our desiring. And that's what God and Christ is helping us to do right during this very class. So I'm giving you not quick fix-its, I'm giving you long-range disciplines that help you eventually wake up your own hearts, you know, it's just drifting with the snooze alarm, you know, but you're saying, wait, i got to praise God. Why? Because He told me to, and we're supposed to read my Bible and study more. No, no, no. You, you know that's not going to get it. You'll just, you'll just figure out some way to legalistically corner yourself and you'll bag it and go up and down again. See, what we need is some sort of mastery. And the Lord, the Master, is training us and teaching us to be the kind of people so devoted and love Him, love our, our, all our heart, soul, mind, strength, that we give ourselves to Him with whole lives of worship. That's where we're going. Now, it's desire is the thing. Now, let me, let me give you an illustration from James 4 of this very truth. And I think it will help color it out a little bit more. James 4 
Um, by the way, James 4 verse 1 starts off kind of... Uh, oh, I actually have that. Which is the source of quarrels and conflicts? And look at this. Actually, verse 2 comes out, you desire, lust is the same as desire. It's not the same Greek word. You desire and you can't have, so you commit murder. See, the, the, very, the very dynamics of how do we slip into being murderous? All right, I know that's not you. You would never. Wait a minute. You're his niece or nephew. Referring to Cain. Yes, you, you're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And you do not have because you don't ask. There's all kinds of complications. I'm not going to go into them all. But there, there's something alive here. And God says, you adulteresses. Do you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Let me drift down to chapter, uh, verse 5 of James 4. Or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? Now here's the scripture. The scripture is in verse 6. I know some translations are different. This is a combination NIV and, and the American Standard. And the, the Greek says this, trust me. You may want to write this down because uh, I think NIV, the, the footnotes, gives this reading. And it's the simplest way to read the straight up Greek. Do you think the scriptures speak to no purpose? And then the rest of verse 5 is not a scripture. You will not find it, any phrase of that tucked away in any Bible passage. And that's what it means a scripture. But you will find verse 6. So this is the scripture. Now the thing is, he's, he's thinking backwards from us, and everybody gets it when he reads it, but we think sequentially, first point one, then point two, he just turns it around, and here's the purpose. The rest of verse five is the purpose. That's why the scripture speaks. Do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? Here's the reason this scripture speaks. The reason is that the spirit, that is the human nature, not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's just, it's just the Greek word spirit. And it, it qualifies it only this way. The spirit which he has made to dell in us. Which sounds like it could be the Holy Spirit made in us. But, uh, given to us. But doesn't use the language give. It just, may, it just says the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. Desires. That's the basic verb. And then it desires all the way to jealousy. That's the way we're wired. With something that lies at the door, it's desire. And it's your desire, but you must master it. It moves to jealousy. But he gives a greater grace. That's what I mean about what's powerful in God and Christ. Human nature can be overwhelmed by a greater human nature. And he gives greater grace. Greater than what? This grace is greater than that desire that moves us to jealousy, which moves us to want and lust and cannot have it, so we murder. But I know you would never do that, but you would, unbounded. That's, that's how we're wired. We're, we're all of us that dangerous. Because you are, you, your engine of desire is that potent. You want that much. You can, you can neutralize it, you can drown it in drugs or whatever you want, but still, I mean, the very fact of, of, of rock cocaine being sold right now, it's like, what kind of appetite are human beings made with? You know, there's some sort of desiring in there that God's made us for, and, and, but there is a greater grace. And uh, it's available only to the humble. God opposes himself to the proud, the ones who would set themselves up to be, be who, they, who they are. And so it goes on to say how to... Uh, uh, align yourself with that grace. Does that now look back on Genesis four 
and you can see there's desire here, there's every bit of room for jealousy. Check out the drama, our original jealousy. God likes, you know, mom always liked you best, kind of stuff, you know. God took your gift and didn't like mine. Now that's really important, you see, because what we're going to get to eventually is the human family with its diverse peoples, each with a distinctive worship offering that now God in Christ is gaining to himself. And will we avail ourselves of the greater grace and thrill that Azerbaijani worship is so different than ours and God apparently just dwells on it with great favor or will we quibble and say it's not right and so on you know and, and so and so in a, in a sense I, I think God has been waiting and, and been working very very vigorously to give us greater grace because when all peoples begin to worship with diverse forms and, and worship offerings. Will we celebrate? Will we be mature enough in Christ to celebrate and embrace that and receive one another? Earlier times of history since Christ, we have not. We rejected and refused each other and literally have murdered each other because you're worshiping wrong. Cain comes again. So, yes. That's a good question. Yeah, it, it, it could have been. Yeah, but no, the, the, it had nothing to do with the gift. Here, here's, what, here's what Cain was doing. And it could have been just the other way around. Right. No, 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 no. See, what, 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 what I think is, is alive here is that God could... It, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. One point of clarity. I think what really made the difference between Cain and Abel's offering... And why didn't God just smile them all together both and say, man, both is great, I love this. Is that is it Cain was just pitching stuff to him. He just gave the offering. That's, and I'm, I'm supposing that in here. You don't see that in the text. No, don't see that in the text. But, but God, the, what makes me think that is because God told him his heart condition. That the, there's something, something you know, I, I'm looking right through you, Cain. You know, I, I don't I don't need, you know, the broccoli. You know, I'm, I'm I'm looking right at it, and there's a conniving. There's some sort of, some sort of wild desiring. There's some sort of manipulation in life here. Is there any reason to think that God has No, there's nothing here. We have no clue whatsoever, and that's an. Yeah, and, and you got to be careful not to read back and say because we really know from later things that he should have he should have killed something, and and it's, it's great it's a great stretch to to say that well they should have known because um, uh, Adam and Eve came out of the garden dressed in skins of killed animals they should have known that God likes to kill animals or have animals killed for him why didn't they figure that out there's nothing. Um, but but you're, we're going we're gonna to see other indications, I think, subsequent that there that most of worship offerings are simply offerings of worship, not sin offerings. In fact, the Greek word here, mincha, um, I'm saying it wrong. The offering is usually spoken of as grain offerings. You know, 
even Abel's offerings, the word for it is for grain offering. It's not the word for sin offering or day of atonement offering. That's another ground I'm, I'm basing this on. Right. We're going to see uh, the, the, for the tape is you see it, Jesus saying, yeah, bring an offering. But if your heart's all, all confounded with darkness regarding a brother, get that right first, then come bring your offering. And, uh, and yeah, it's just, it's just yeah, Jesus re- reiterates, just don't, do, don't do Cain all over again. Get it clean and right. Because the desire is what's going to move us to jealousy and, and, and God saw jealousy alive. And, and who knows if Cain just says, huh, a fat sheepling, huh, you know, because it says of the fattest, Cain grows, Abel brought his best, you know, I just, hmm, what's wrong with mine? And who knows where it started, but there was a comparison that what God wanted to catch his face. He says, look, if you do well, I will exalt you. I have a will to, to lift you to myself. Okay, now what happened? We better hurry here. Um, get, get on through this. Those are good. Thanks for asking that question. Unmastered desire, jealousy leads to murder. We covered that. C, point C: flight from God's face, from perverse to reverse worship. Uh, and here I run out of. Um, oh, no, no, I don't. I've got the next one here. And uh, and the rest of Genesis four. Um, what we have is um, is is God encountering Cain and saying, um, "You've got to cultivate the ground." Verse twelve: "It shall not only strength to you; shall be a vagrant and wander on the earth." And Cain said to the Lord, "My punishment is too great to bear. You drew me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I shall also be hidden." See, see, see the the departure from the face. He could, he could tell. I'm, this is going to seal me off. <clears throat> And, uh, and then, oh wait, we're going to have to, you have to open up Genesis 4. Um, I don't have the rest of this, um, the details. I didn't use this uh, transparency before to teach this, but, uh, and um, verse 15, or actually 14 says, You've driven me from, from your face, I shall be hidden, and I shall become a vagrant and wander on the earth. And the last phrase, and it will come about that whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, Therefore whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. Don't fully understand that, but what I'm saying is that God offered protection. It's, it's, it's sheer grace. It's, yeah, don't worry about that. Run, but I mean, you're right. You're going to have a tough time, but you don't have to be fear, fearful of being terrorized. And, um, and he appointed a sign, a seal, or some sort of angelic deal for Cain, that was uh, almost like the, the the rainbow in the sky for for Babel. We'll talk about those guys in a while. But um, but uh, it turns out that uh, Cain went out from the from before the face of the Lord, verse 16, and settled in the land of wandering east of Eden. Eden Nod, and Cain had relationship with his wife, and she conceived, gave birth to Enoch, and built a city, and called the name of the city Enoch <coughs> after the name of his son. And um, and what I'm what I'm suggesting here is um, is he 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 was in flight from 
God's protection. He built a city. That's a, somehow he fortified himself and says, if, anybody, uh, if I'm just a wanderer, people will just find me and kill me. And, and instead he builds a city and you can find that there's a, there's a, a heritage in the city that enlarges. Verse um, 24, or actually 23, a few generations down, this guy Lamech said to his wives, Adon and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech, get heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, which means not eye for an eye kind of stuff. I've killed a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So took the vengeance type protection upon themselves. They were self-protected is the whole heritage of the city. There's some conjecture here, but my suggestion, try to emphasize, is that by building that city, it was founded on fear. It was founded as a walled defense place that no one come and kill me. And instead, instead, whenever you build by fear, you actually, the backstroke is even, is even greater and you start uh, multiplying the vengeance. And uh, th there's a lot of complexities of that I don't have time to get into and not that I fully understand it either, but I can just see the security issue being self-designed. And uh, something else is he names it after his son. And we're going to see in, uh, shortly in, in Babel, they, uh, they, they built Babel um, even after the flood to make a name for themselves. Very interesting. To make a name for themselves is what they built that for. And so because of the close proximity and the same, uh, um, same area, same territory of early Genesis, I, I, I'm just supposing that there was alive in this city a self-aggrandizement, a self-ascribed um, self significance that was cultivated. And, uh, and I'm even suggesting that that, that, that that fear which multiplies into uh, overdone security, which basically it means the city is designed to avoid violence but brings it about. We've, we never had cities that d didn't end up Escalating in violence and collapsing somehow. Eventually, you know, now that, that's an overgeneralization, but I'm just the, the the global city we now find. You know, we may find uh, some some early antecedents here. Um, now, uh, the, that's the, that's very interesting how that worked out. Point D: Worship resumes by revelation. Uh, check out the. The, uh, the verse 26 or 25 Adam had, had relationship with his wife again she gave birth to a son and named him Seth verse 26 and to Seth to him also a son was born and he called his name Enosh and it was then people began to call upon the name of the Lord now call upon the name is a Hebrew phrase which means is just generally worship it's not saying a name real loud it's it's it, it, it's not just to call upon with a request, it's a generalized worship expression. And, uh, and, and it's very interesting that that same phrase is used at the archetypal evangelistic event, Pentecost, and it'll come about, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's kind of vague, and that means you step forward and you can pray right here. Yeah, but it, it, the actual phrase from Joel has to do with worshiping God by name. 
and, uh, and, and, and so it's not like you're saved by worship, but you're not saved apart from it either, I wouldn't think. Um, and the, the, the point is, is worshiping and knowing God intimately as he's, re, as he's revealed himself by name. We've spent two evenings working through what it might mean for, to, to call upon what? The name of the Lord as he's revealed himself. And we know we're not lost in which name? Yahweh or Adonai? You know, there, there's, it, it, once again, speaking of the whole bundle of revelation that is authentically who God wants to be known as. So it was then, early on, people began to worship by revelation, which is very, what I mean by revelation, by how God had revealed himself, by the track record of who he was, instead of what? Just directly face to face. Almost every uh, tribe that we uh, move into that is not overrun by some advanced religious system such as Islam or, or, or Hinduism, almost every tribe we bump into that, that we really examine the way they tell their story and what happened. How come you don't know God? Well, you know what's amazing? Almost all, they always say, we left him. Long ago, one of our ancestors got sick or upset and left God. And now we will never get back. We have also, someone said that someone will come from him and send us to find us. But we left God. It's very rarely, you, know, you find it rarely, but not too often, that, that the basic myth in the back of, of, of um, primal peoples, do, do they have this myth that God left them? Usually we have a story that we left God. And, and basically that's what we have here. So if, uh, I've said before, but the, but the fall from the garden, I think it was a fall, that, that was a fall all right, we went down, but, but this was falling off a cliff. <laughs> and uh, and, the, and the fall from the from uh, from being locked out up from the tree, having a rough agricultural life, that was that was a fall from off a curb comparatively, to begin murdering each other, which has never stopped. So it's very interesting that 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 this this most defining event in human story is in. It, is interrupted worship. That's what it is. That's what, that's what our murder and violence is really traces back to. And somehow there's going to be worship at the, as an element somehow of the healing of the nations. And so I just want you to, to see the grand significance of, trans, of worship. Now why am I calling it transaction? Because God receives it and lifts it and exalts us. Now I want to go into worship gifts, sorting out the different kinds. Um, Gifts, uh, there, there's three kinds of, of gifts, and um, let, me, let me take you to Hebrews 5, and just check out the first verse. Hebrews 5, verse 1, every high priest is taken among men, from among men, is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, things God work, this is um, speaking of temple dynamics, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. I'm going to start distinguishing the different worship offerings. And I'm going to group them in three blocks. Don't get confused in this, but it's really lovely once you start sorting it out. Why am I sorting it out? It's because most Americans growing up today, most Europeans, in fact, even, even, even Jewish people I've conversed with and written up in some Jewish, uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Scholastic writings is saying, boy, we're puzzled over what that's for. 
and I don't think all Jewish people are puzzled over it, but 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 some are, and I think if everything really comes together, and makes sense in Christ. But here's what we're puzzled over: we are so fixated on our sin getting covered and died for, and, and all that kind of thing, that we have have bundled together all those worship offerings under one category as sacrifices for sin. And now we don't have to do that anymore. That's law. Now we're in grace, so we don't have to do a worship offering. Does that sound familiar? You don't know where, where am I going. You don't know whether to agree with me or not. But I'm just saying, that's generally true. Most, most Americans have, have, have kind of put past tense, forever gone, worship gifts and offerings that get lifted up to God of all sorts. And they kind of categorize them all together. What you see in Hebrews is very consistent in the language of Hebrew, almost always. You find this, this separation, distinction. Both, number one, gifts, and then also sacrifices for sins. So that, that's the beginning of sorting out different kinds of gifts and offerings. What Abel and Cain were offering was not a sacrifice for sin, just to tie in what we already did. It was just a gift. Just a love gift. Just for me to you. Most worship offerings we're going to explain, even in Leviticus and all the way through, are gifts, not sin offerings. And therefore, here's my thesis, is they'll have a whole lot to say to us now, right now, even though we don't bring God like this, this, you know, bevo, you know, and, uh, and, and slaughter him, you know, and say, well, we brought God bevo, you know, he thought we'd he was like that. For those listening to the tape, University of Texas nearby, and the mascot is this longhorn steer named Bebo. But, um, uh, so we're, we don't, uh, some of you didn't know that. Okay, um, so we, we, we don't, I, I'm not saying well, let's replicate that, let's reanimate all the, all, the, all the offerings that weren't for sin, but just were the gifts to God. But I am saying that if you look at them right, then it speaks loud and clear. I wept reading Leviticus saying, man, look, he just loves us. He'll receive us. So I want to sort these out. First of all, I, I said there's gifts of service. These are the free will, the daily mandate. There's two different kinds. And, uh, and these are gifts. Now, um, how can I go into this real simple and short? Um, okay, you got to turn to Leviticus. This is good stuff. Now you know that anything beautiful can be perversed and twisted. The legal system, the Levitical code, was perversed and twisted. That doesn't mean you throw it away. The law is perfect and good. Read this as if, as if it's not yesteryear, but still speaks loud and clear. And the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting and, and said, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When any man of you brings an offering, and that is, the Greek word is, is I mean, Hebrew word is, a, is called korban. It's just, if you just bring something near, anything dedicated to God. Excuse me. Um, chapter Leviticus, chapter 1, verse 2. When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring an offering of animals from the herd or flock. In other words, don't bring them roadkill. 
or you are hunting things, you know. I found this armadillo. I think it'll be good. You'll like it. Um, no. Uh, in other words, you bring it. This agrarian society. You bring it for the fruit of your own labors. It, it becomes an extension of the fruition, the productivity, your own identity, that which cost you something, and you bring it to and you bring it to God. It's, but this is free will offering here. And if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without defect. Now, verse three, I should have had on transparency to to give you a good Hebrew rendering. Every scholar debates on this because the Hebrew is so compressed, so wild and nutty. Um, but here's how I'm reading it. You may want to just copy that down. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting that it may be accepted before the Lord. That it, the offering itself, may be accepted. And verse 4, He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it may be accepted for him to make atonement, and then here's what I could be read, to make atonement for it. You see, make atonement for the sacrifice? Yes! We're going to talk about atonement in a minute. Just strike that on for size, because atonement is to cleanse something and to purify it. We're going to find, you can find several examples throughout Leviticus about what atonement really is, is to cleanse to the point of where it's purified so it can be received and accepted inside the, the inside and have dealings with holy things. And so if we did just trudge up the gateway with Bevo and say, well, here he is, it's like this is just a defiled farm animal. You don't bring dirty things even if you washed them down 4-H style. You don't just bring a dirty thing in here. There's some sort of ceremony that says we're even going to make a atonement for it. Every article in the tabernacle had first to have atonement made for it before it started its service. The priests had to have atonement made for them, not of their sin, just to cleanse them and purify them, to, to qualify them. This is a qualifying atonement for the offering to get in, even at the door. That's what it's saying. Anything you bring, qualify it. And what, it is, what it's saying here is it's not hard to bring what you want to bring to God. You grew your little pet goat, bring it. And at the doorway, you lay your hand on it, and there can be a cleansing, an atonement, without a bunch of huda, whatever. You don't have to buy a different one. Does that remind you of Jesus cleansing the temple? You, you can, your own gift can be cleansed and made good enough and pure enough to go right in. Now, why am I saying that? Because this is the first uh, overarching statement about free will Corban kind of gifts and what the first li uh, the list of five different gifts Possible exception, but 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 there's only one possible exception. But burnt offerings are not for purification of sin. They're gifts. 
you can bring one free will. If, if we just wanted to do Bevo and just offer them up to God, say, here, you're worthy of all University of Texas pride. Just give it to God. That would be, we'd, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> I don't know that. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I don't know if police folks at A&M or not, but um, um, no one's tried that yet. Every year they try something, but um, But uh, it, it, it's another thing. Oh, wait, what was my point? Burn offerings are. They're not atonement for sin. But, oh, the other thing is that they can be mandated. God says, look, I want a burn offering every morning, I want a burn offering every night. But He says nothing associated with that that sins will be forgiven by those offerings. It's just. It'll be, a smooth, it'll be a soothing savor. In other words, a pleasing savor. Just the, the total incineration uh, where you get nothing out of it. Because a burnt offering, you don't eat anything of it. You just incinerate it to God. And just burn to God. And, and, and somehow, God buys into the cultural currency or whatever uh, was alive that day. But somehow, he says that the upshot is burnt offerings is it'll be a pleasing thing to him. Not that he was displeased. It doesn't buy him off from any kind of wrath or whatever. There is no wrath turned away ever spoken of that God's wrath is now on that thing and up in smoke. In fact, what it says, bring that smoke to me. I love it. Because I know you've given yourself to me. Right. Okay, we're going we're gonna to bring that up. God says, I'm not pleased with certain gifts and offerings. Um, we could say that except Christ himself said go ahead and bring your offering but, uh, but uh, uh, the question is this is a temporary thing you're racing way ahead keep it the category right now we're going to do a taxonomy that is a breakdown of the different sorts just so you get it now the first offering in the Le- Leviticus headliner list of five gifts in the first I think four or five chapters is the burnt offering the next one is the grain offering which same same word that, uh, that uh, was used uh, with Cain and Abel. And that's just a gift to offer to please God. Nothing to do with propitiation of sin or, or forgiveness or atonement uh, that we can be cleansed and purified and changed of our own sin. It's just, it's just a love gift to God. Just like the burnt offering. Except it's a grain thing. So this is basically Cain and Abel. Extra proof that, like, yeah, animal, vegetable, but there's pageantry and poetry to the way the way God wants it done. So that you know you don't just make God cookies and say, "Well, I, I thought you'd like these." You know, it's a special family recipe. It says, "Look, you bring a grain offering. Here's how it's done." So that, that, you, that that's a very, it's a formalized way. So basically, God's making Himself easy to approach. Do you see that? You can bring a grain offering any which way. Want a burnt offering? You can't afford a bull? How about turtle doves? They're cheap. You know, so, yeah, I can do turtle doves. Anytime you want. Here's how to do it. You could come and the priests are supposed to be on duty all day long. What were they doing between the morning and the evening offering? Stand around waiting. Oh, you got a gift for God? Boy, come right in. We got to help you here. And there's a little formula that we want to go through to make sure it's done with, with the protocols that befit the regal situation we're in. But, but the, the door's open. It's welcome. That's how Leviticus opens. And then um, there are peace offerings. Now, peace offerings is not how to make peace with God. Mm-mm. 
Not, you won't find a scrap of any hint that that's what's going on in a peace offering. What you find there in chapter 3, verse 1 through 17, is its purpose <coughs> is to celebrate peace with God. And so what a peace offering is, 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 is you take a burnt offering, same kind of gift you do with a burnt offering, but instead of burning up the whole thing to God, you give God the best parts. The fat and the kidneys, for some reason that was their favorite part. And, uh, and, and you, you incinerate that to God, and all just the, you know, the, the flank and the brisket and all that other stuff. You get to eat and have a party with God. If it takes days, and it says very clearly, I think in verse 19, 5, that you get to just be before the Lord, celebrating a peace offering. It's how to have a party with God and invite your friends. But you're, you're basically enjoying a celebratory meal. So festival times are full of peace offerings. I don't know how you reserved the room or something like that for, for this, but it was, it was kind of a wonderful thing. But uh, the... Um, then you, then you go on with uh, with the now. Let me tell you about the sin offerings. Do you want to know a little bit about atonement? Or are we gonna, um, I should probably tell you a little bit about atonement. Sacrifices for sin. That's the next category. Um, sacrifices for sin. The um, the atonement. I guess you, that B should have numbers one and two under it. I don't know how that list continued. These are both um, sacrifices for sin. But, but Leviticus 17, you have the Day of Atonement. Uh, actually, verse six, chapter 16. And uh, in chapter 16, verse 30, I don't have a transparency on this, but um, verse 16, 30 tells what the whole purpose is. This is a powerful verse. It looks like it's just tucked in here, but Leviticus 16, verse 30 is crucial. Write the, write the numbers down so you can look and meditate on it. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. And you shall be clean from all your sins. And then this is lovely. Before the face of the Lord. You see. Now, the reason that's so important kind of timing now is that I don't know when this tape is going to be listened to, but this is the very week to start off proclaimed rather rather foolishly, I think, that there was a day of atonement for uh, black men uh, on the Million Man March. Did you realize that? That's what, that's what an Islamic man declared, that this would be a day of atonement. And uh, actually it was accelerated by an amazing thing, is that the trial of America's life right now was O.J. Simpson, and he walked free on what day? The day we started this class, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is <laughs> when, and I think God's trying to say something to our land that, that there's, there's a clash between these two dates. You can't just come, to, come together and say, we got rid of all our violence in our lives. Now we're different. Because we're going to be different. We're going to go back home and change. No, how God provided is, 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 that, is that sin is alive in you and you've opened the door and it's mastering you way much and you defiled yourself. And there's, there's an impurity that is grotesque. That can't, he can't bring you before himself. He can stand you. God, God can handle sinful things before himself. He can handle Satan in his courts. There's this room where God can't handle sinful a holy God can't stand the presence of sinful people. Sure he can. 
just takes no pleasure in it. He had no reason for that. Doesn't need to, but, but he delights in you so much. He wants to, uh, as Ephesians 2 says, the archetypal purpose of God. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's temple taught for right in his face and to be holy and blameless. That's his, that's his determined purpose. That is high exaltation of human beings, to be holy and blameless before him. How's he going to do that? The, the theory of atonement, there's different ones, and, and uh, I don't have time. I do have detailed notes, but, but I, I didn't plan on it. But there's, there's, there's classic theories of atonement. There's, there's, uh, there's uh, Western and Eastern theories of atonement. But basically, they, uh, they veer around, on, um, uh, around who is, who's being satisfied or not. Is God paying off the devil, or is he satisfying himself? And most evangelicals, it's far more biblical to realize God is satisfying himself. What? What's, what's being satisfied? There is a holy and righteous wrath in the heart of God which must come forth. And so here's what atonement really is. It's, it's, it's a substitution. That your guilt, your defilement, your dirt is placed on another entity and God's wrath is fully diverted against that. And then there's a transformation that comes with you. You just didn't escape it. Kippur has to do, the Hebrew word for, for atonement, has to do with some sort of cleansing transformation. You are now different. How are you different? Well, with the wrath of God turned away, there is a new cleansing. It's different. Thing. Now, atonement has its purpose in purification from defilement to cleansed and from cleansed to holy it's not mechanical it's not magical it's very intimately personal because holy is not just a status of not of of, of not having anything wrong no demerits holy before God's face before God's God's interior uh, of, of his dwelling his favorite place to just be he, he ordains, he says, I want one of these, I want some of those, I want this. This is how I love it, I like it like this, you know. And then anything he would select and choose to be brought near him is got to, it has a beauty and an honor and a distinctiveness that he loves. It's a quality that is, he has a personal relationship. And, and so we have holy things that are serviceable and beautiful before him. But if there's entities like angels, and more importantly, if there are people that are before him. They are to be holy. That means they are choice and delighted in. And so it, it's not just they're free from impurities. They're chosen and prepared and pristine and lovely in some sort of elevation to be likened, to be holy. So atonement is not just to get our sins washed away so I don't have to feel guilty. Its purpose is to bring you in the presence of God. And so the Day of Atonement is the only sacrifice in the Hebrew system that, that really atoned for sins. And it says on that one day a year that all your sins will be ill atoned for you. And your sins. So you can be before the Lord all year long. Now, now having said that, you go into chapter 4 where there are these so-called sin offerings. There's almost like a little exception that, that uh, Jesus said, you know, divorce, 
not doing it. But because it hardens your heart, there's a provision. And here, here's what happened with sin, sin offerings. It's like if someone did a sin and felt bad and says, gosh, I just feel totally bad. It says, you can do a sin offering to make sure that you, it, it, it's, it's almost like the theory is just to make sure that you're signaling to God, I didn't mean it. I didn't, I, I didn't know it. I just inadvertently stumbled into this thing and, and, and I, I just want to shore up the thing that, that, that the, the relationship is not sullied in any way, our relationship. It does not countermand or override or overrule the Day of Atonement. The, the sin offerings, if you read them carefully, are just, are just provisional so that you don't feel like you're left out. So in, in a sense, if you were to blow it a week after the Day of Atonement, you don't have to be in the doghouse all year. Now, you can imagine how that got perversed. Because people would sell it and buy it and figure, well, if I do three of these things, then I can go and... Because no one would know and I would just... My wife's going to be away and I could just rat out on her. And buy, so I better do like five of these because that's really bad. You know? And so there was game playing with God and so the God has no interest in it. That's just like, this is grotesque. But people were buying and selling the forgiveness of God with these sin offerings, the, the hatat offerings. But um, anything could be atoned for and so the sin offerings did that. The guilt offerings which are after that are, uh, were um, had, had to do with uh, when you blew it in worship like, like you didn't know that you were not, you're supposed to go barefoot in the tap and you, and you just you didn't realize it, you just you walked in with your shoes, you say ah, you know, I really offended God says there's an offering for that, so you just Basically, God's saying, like, I don't want you bummed out. We're okay, right? But the real issue was the Day of Atonement. That's real important. Even in the Hebrew Scriptures, it, it, it is not this system. It's often derided and set aside as just this, this sacrificial system that you could walk up to any day and says, well, I really blew it, so I'll buy some of this and one of that. Can I throw the goat in? And Man, I was... How about my uncle? Oh, man, the things he does. Can I do this for my uncle? He's not here, but is it Okay. And you get this thing so corrupt and all that. Maybe it was that. That's not how God intended it. It's a beautiful, marvelous thing as God intends it. And it, and it worked in the sense of his pursuit. Jesus did not debunk it. He actually endorsed it. He said, go ahead and bring your offering. That's good. Just make sure you're clean inside with it. Because that, that's the point. The, the third, third kind of gift are covenant sealers. The, um, a, a classic one is in Genesis 15 where Abraham is, is says, well, where, how, you said something to me. Are we going to, am I going to get a son or not? And says, here, bring one of these, three of these and cut them in half. And he fell asleep and all kinds of bizarre things happened. And so what, was that, what kind of sacrifice is that? That's a covenant sealer. And he want to know something else? In that same category is the Passover now, don't, don't confuse the Passover with the Day of Atonement. Mm-mm. Different. Christians just fuzzy on the Hebrew calendar. Just get all, oh, that's just New Year's, isn't it? Because uh, uh, Passover, wow, when is, how many New Year's do we have here? And it's just the lamb. Something about the lamb that was slain for us. So you get Passover, especially in 1 Corinthians, it says, Christ our Passover was slain for us, therefore let us keep the feast. Therefore let us keep the covenants establishing feast. Passover was a covenant sealer 
It had nothing to do with setting aside sin. Sin is not even mentioned anywhere close to it. It's, it's saying, I'll, I'll, govern, I'll protect you. That blood on the doorway seals as my wrath and, and judgment is poured out on the nations for people to defile themselves and other gods. My covenant with you, like the rainbow was a covenant with, with, with Noah, I'll override that. I'll pass over that. And, and my, my, the, the angel of death will slam in to those who have allied themselves with evil, but, but, but I'm covenantally sealed with you. But it has no reference at all to sin. But people like to think that. So, and so around Passover, we have all kinds of things about our sin and whatever. And, and it turns out you know, and, um, that these are different. Did you know that? Is this, is this interesting? Is it, are, okay. Um, and so these, these, these three things. Uh, another, another covenant sealer would be Genesis 28. Uh, or excuse me, 22. Yeah, actually that is. 22 and 28 from both. Uh, but uh, no, we're going to go 22 later. Uh, 28 would be another one where, where Jacob lifts up the stone and then pours a libation on it. Pours pours oil on it. What kind of worship offering is that? Well, you find these drink offerings or oil offerings poured out libations. Don't think of them as creepy, ugly, Old Testament-ish things, you know, because there's all kinds of New Testament language about them. We're going to look at a few. And so what you have is, uh, is, is, is Jacob enunciating and, and, and authenticating a covenant. So it's a deal. And there's some sort of gift exchange that does it. And we're going to see a couple covenant sealer Sacrifices later on, particularly at the at the um, at Mount, Mount Sinai and, uh, and Mount Moriah, that are, are very interesting. So those three things I found very helpful to sort those things out. Here's how they get. I, I was going to. I don't have my little. I don't have a thing to draw on the wall. So you're going to have to get this. Gifts. See, here's a here's a subset of circle of gifts. Gifts. They're just free will. I love Jesus. I love God. I'm bringing in myself. Here's a token of that, a song of thanks. We'll cover that in a minute. Overlap sometimes with covenant sealer gifts. Because you can refresh the, the, the covenants with tribute offerings, which are kind of like free will, but they're, they're really to reestablish again that I'm bound before you as king. And the treaty we signed, it's in effect. So the basic word for, for worship is something to bow down. And you often have that, the same word for Cain and Abel used, a grain offering that says covenant still in effect I'm still lavishly pouring out of myself as your servant and in fact a tithe to give a tithe was one of those formalized recognized gifts that sealed the covenant and, uh, and so that's why it was altogether recognized in Abraham's life later on so gifts overlap sometimes with the covenant sealer Kind of gifts, but they're both kind of free will. They come from your heart, and neither has anything to do with sin. Sin offerings are, are distinct. There's very few. Now, what's that say? Where am I going with that? Christ has been the offering for sin. That still leaves us all kinds of ways to pour out our lives. There still is a reasonable service of worship. What am I quoting? Romans, like Romans, that's New Testament. That's like in effect for everybody. And yes, your reasonable service of worship. See, this covenant service gifts. That's, 
that's logical. It makes sense. So you give yourself as gift. It's not just like he's borrowing language. That's never been not in effect that you wouldn't seal your covenant with the living God by gift. You wouldn't worship with some sort of transactional wonderment in actuality. So that's, that, that's where we're going with that. But, but, but it, it, it really enriches it to say, yes, that, that sin offering has been once for all dealt, dealt with. Just as, as sacrosanct and separate in the Hebrew mind is that once a year gift of atonement was separate. Then, and all the other burnt offerings every day, the worship extravaganzas, it was just worth it, and we we're buying no forgiveness from God. It was because of His covenant with us, we had room to come near Him, and the gift brought the giver. Old Testament, just as real as anything. Okay? Now, the rest of us will go back to the story. Any questions about gifts and offering? Yes? It's a covenant sealer. Yeah, because it has to do has actually very the first fruits of uh, the firstborn that opens the womb from any kind of life form. I can go into that detail, but it, it actually gets instituted at Passover. Read again Exodus twelve. That's when that's when God first institutes that, and it's very much connected to the Passover event because their firstborn were 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 killed. You see. And God required that from them. He says, now, I'm, I require the same thing of you. But instead, just kill, redeem your firstborn child, it says, by offering something in its place. So you have, a, you have your firstborn son. You don't kill him like some gods would do. You get anything from your flock. You know, can I buy your sheep? I don't have any sheep. I just had a son. Says, Man, here, you know. And kill that because as sure as God came through Egypt requiring firstborn. Now don't ask me why we don't have time for that. I don't understand it fully. I have guesses at it. But that is a covenant sealer kind of offering. So it, it actually, I haven't found it. I don't fit somewhere neatly in those three categories. I found the bottom two categories of gifts and covenant sealers overlap. But um, it's marvelous. Okay. So we'll go on. God, now here, back to the story now. That was the clarification to get us acquainted with some temple talk. You can understand why in the notes I didn't try to do a, a vocabulary list this week. I started going, man, this is going to take me so long. You know, it would have helped you, I know, but I figured I would, um, the best thing I could do for you is just show up and halfway ready instead of find all the transparencies and everything. They take me 20 minutes each, so I, I figured out it was going to take me six hours or eight hours to just to do the transparencies. And at noon today, I figured I'll just be be ready. Um, number three, God receives worship from before the nations. Abraham established open devotion. See, the, now go back to Babel and back to cities. Just just real quick, Genesis 11. The first first thing you have there is, like I said, the uh, the um, whole earth through the same language and they built this city verse, chapter 11 of Genesis verse 4 it says and let us make for ourselves a name lest we be scattered um, uh, abroad over the face of the whole earth and uh, so they, they did that and then the next uh, next thing you got is God telling Abraham in, in the very next chapter very next event you have some some genealogy tucked in there but it flows on. The first thing is go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, 
the land which I show you, Genesis 12, 2. I'll make you a great nation, I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And stop right there, see, see the, the writer of Genesis wants you to see this, you know, that the whole city tries to make a name, what are they going to be, famous in front of themselves, you know, it's like, wow, we're really something, you know. And, um, and yet, because there's the whole human race there. <laughs> but, uh, but, but God says, I will make your name great. And see, and see this, this purpose of exaltation and uh, is, is allied somehow with his own glory. And so it, it, it's not enough. You see, I want, to, I want you people to be a little more graduated than saying, can't steal the glory. Someone mentions glory and you go, ooh, pull out the little tape that says, can't steal the glory. Boy, you touch the glory, you're really going to get it. And in a, okay, that, that, that's, just, that's just the rough, crude, distant edges. You know, if that's the only thought you have about glory, you haven't tasted it much. Have an enter to do the beauties of it, so uh, because God really does lift and, and wants to exalt people. That's what Satan's so jealous. Um, now, what's the first thing Abraham did when he got to the land? Um, verse seven, he got there and the Lord appeared to him and he built an altar there. Verse eight, and then he proceeded there from the mountain on the west of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and on its east and he built an altar there to the Lord and did what? And he called on the name of the Lord. That's Abraham's first act in the land. So we're back to the story. See, see how this is integrating with all we studied before about the name of God? I could have gone over this then, but I wanted you to see how integrally tied into worship this is. And so the story, the first stroke of God's people being and doing anything in the land, and it's, it's getting God named. It's getting God worship. I call it open devotion. That's what an altar is. It's a shrine without walls. It's, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's probably some sort of transactional worship where on the altar something was offered. It could be grain, oil, wine, livestock, anything, but it was understood that he was worshiping by name. And it was open, um, open worship, public record, you see. To call on the name of the Lord means to call upon something is to go public with it. That's who I'm calling on. It's not just kind of schmoozing and meditating and thinking about someone. Now, so that was his, his first act, and uh, um, I don't have time to go into. Uh, oh yeah, we can. I think we. I think we do this. This quick. Um, he built another altar. Um, this is after he had um, separated from Lot, and uh, and he didn't own any of this land. Lot says, well, I'll take that area, graze my cattle there, we'll all squat over here, Abraham says. And, and then God says, lift up your eyes, look from the, where you are, north, south, east, and west, for all the land which you see. By the way, this reminds me, we're going to have a prayer walking uh, seminar Saturday morning, this Saturday and next Saturday. This Saturday we're at uh, Southwest Baptist Church, and I'll be going over this passage in another dimension. And uh, Saturday the 28th, right here, at 9 o'clock, uh, we'll be going over this passage again, so make sure to be part of those seminars. Um, I'll make an announcement at the end again about that. But uh, just reminding me, I've got to be ready to talk about that. Verse 18, uh, he, after he walks about the land, very interesting, after he walks about the land, he finds out where to go, finds out where to live, and he moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which is one of the head dudes around there that did own the land. He, Abraham did own one thing in the land. He owned a burial plot for Sarah, and he bought it from this guy Mamre and his, and his clan. And, uh, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, very interesting what happened as a result of that altar to the Lord, that open devotion, is that God was honored and glorified, 
and chapter 14, it says they made a covenant. He made a covenant with, with those, those Amorites. Mamre was an Amorite. The, Genesis 14 is a story about a whole bunch of kings uh, form one of the earliest uh, Axis alliances and overswept the whole area and just swept the Amorite people as well as Sodom and Gomorrah and just overtook it, ripped off all their stuff, whole cities of, of freight and, and, and things and just were carting it all slowly back to their, to their kingdom somewhere else. Abraham has a covenant with the Amorites and says if, they, if, they, if I get attacked, you'll defend me. If you get attacked, I'll defend you. It was a joke. I said, sure, Abraham, I mean, what are you? You've got five families, but we'll take care of you. But instead... They get all they got all whooped, and so he gets on his horse with with you know a few dozen of his of his servants with sticks, you know, and they go off and beat this vast armada that had just vanquished five kingdoms, and he comes back, you know, with the head donkey with 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 five cities of stuff behind him. And they come out to Shaveh, the king's valley. Melchizedek comes out with a couple other covenantal, there's covenant sealer gifts, bread and wine. And um, <clears throat> see that categorization, how it'll help? So what was the bread for? What was the wine? It was breaking the sacrifices? No, it's just, just covenant sealer. That's what Jesus offered, bread and wine. This is a new covenant in my blood. And, um, and so, so what you have is, is Melchizedek coming out, and then it says that... that Melchizedek, in the view of all the nations watching, all the kings watching, he, said, he says, blessed be the God of Abram. And God most high. And blessed be Abram. And then, Abram gave him a tithe of all, which is a worship offering, a covenantal offering of submission and fealty. That's, a, that's an antique word for I swear you're the boss kind of thing. But th that worship gift, he tithes of all the stuff of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the king of Sodom's watching on and says, that's my Toyota. <laughs> yeah, they're burning it. Or what is that? It's like, it wasn't even scratched. It didn't even key it. It's like, there it is, the tires. But they're burning it. And what is that? Is it, and there, it's like, it's like redeemer keepers. You know, if you went and got it back, you know, it's yours. And so it's like, God. And they try to negotiate. Look, you keep the stuff. Just give us our, our daughters back so they're not slaves or anything like that. And uh, it's just like, you get it all back. I'm just, I'm going to tithe this. What was Abraham doing? He's acting as priest with all the nations watching. Basically took their freight and, and, and worshipped for the nations with Melchizedek priestly brokering it. Genesis 14, read it. God gets glorified amongst the nations. Now what am I saying that for? Is, is it, remember that remember the, the events of scripture, how this is going to be unfolding? You need to know this, this happens richly and deeply and profoundly. So you can be stepping into things. How did, how did Abraham get involved in these things? Because that's way out of scale for my life. I'm, I'm not, this is a warrior type thing. Abraham's a shepherd. He's not this big kingdom warrior kind of guy. How did he get started in this? A prayer walk, that's all. He starts walking through, through this thing. And, says, and God says, move here. So he moved there, got in a covenant friendship with his neighbors, you know. And said, well, we'll stand together. And they said, well, you worship a different God than we do. Well, you know, he's great almighty God. El Shaddai. Yeah, uh huh. And then, and then, sure, you know. But then El Shaddai comes through. All, all, all. So, so don't think. Well, that doesn't apply to me. God could do some astounding, miraculous, city redeeming things through people who just get themselves in position and know what the value is of God being worshipped openly. So anyway, I just, I just want you to not say, "Wow, well, another chapter flip," you know, another, another history thing. But uh, Genesis twenty-two. A covenant sealer, a burnt offering, 
this time. That's where uh, sometimes the offering categories, the gift category, overlaps with the covenant sealers. But, but this is Genesis 22, where he offers his own son. He says, man, I thought you weren't supposed to offer your firstborn son. See, this is in the category of, of how do you seal covenant with me? You, and, and that's how some, some demonic entities masquerading as little idols, you know, were demanding, like Malach, your firstborn son. And they, put, and they said, we have to, honey. Okay. They'll completely incinerate our whole village unless we offer our firstborn, but I love him. And he says, no, we've got to incinerate him in fire. And that was a detestable practice before God. But God's basically asking for it. You wonder, why? Why would God do that? You've all wondered, why would Genesis 22 happen? Why would Abraham be called to do this? And the, and the answer comes in the verse... Uh, um, Eighteen, in your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you've obeyed my voice. Now, what is it? It sounds like God's just doing him a favor. No, God has instituted an awesome covenant statement, sealed with in Genesis 15. Remember, I told you those those animals he cut in half, and this weird fire thing and scared the birds away and all that. God sealed says, "I have a covenant with you. I'll give you the land. I'll give you a people. That's the deal. I'm going to come through. What do we have to do? You just got to be my people." But what kind of people did he want? And, 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 and here it says God tested him. And it wasn't saying, well, I'll do good things for you if you do scary things for me. He was just saying, what, he was proving out what kind of people he had. And so, and so he, he, he basically tested his people at the first generation. So do we have worshiping people? That if I say, I would like this, they'll give it. It's not a demand. It's not extortion. God just says, do this. And Abraham could have said, I don't think so. Yeah, all right. You know, God still would have come through the covenant. But he says, I really do this. And so it, it basically sealed the covenant in an awesome way. And uh, I wish I could go, in, go into that in great, greater detail. But uh, there, was, there was some sort of obedience gift. Sure, God said, I, w- I would like that kind of burnt offering. He's later on going to describe other burnt offerings brought to him. That's very significant. Now, now uh, the Exodus events is, are amazing. Turn to Exodus, um, uh, let's see, 5, is it? This is uh, 0318 is the first, uh, first one. Yeah, he says, let my people go. Don't punctuate ever with a period there. Let my people go. No, it always goes on with different phrases. But it's always, let my people go. And we're going to fill in the blanks sometimes. It's always that they may worship me somehow. Uh, chapter 3, verse 18. And uh, at the end it says, so, so now, please, this is what you're going to say to Pharaoh. Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness. Why? That we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And we may give an offering to, to our God. Chapter 5, verse 1 gives a little different kind of thing. Same kind of thing. Let my people go. Why? That they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Go on a pilgrimage. A procession. A, have a worship festival, a covenant sealing feast. Feasts are usually reiteration, the covenant sealer gifts you do there. A lot of burnt offerings, a lot of fun, a lot of peace offerings. It's a blast, it's a party, but uh, that's, that's what that is. And uh, chapter 8, 1, it, uh, it deduces down to the basic, basic thing. Let my people go that they may serve me. This is a politicized term, that they, that I, that they become my subjects and I become the king over them, which is insurrection language. You know, basically relinquish your grip on this people because they're getting a new king. That was several plagues down line. 
where okay, it got it got real explicit. And so all the rest of them, let my people go that they may serve me. And uh, and all those are worship language things there. That's a globally broadcast thing. It wasn't. Remember the the big Exodus splash that we said that was the big global event. God makes a name for Himself. He's not just making a name for Himself. That He lets slaves go. He's not like born free, you know, say, hey, let those things out of here. It's like free willy, get them out, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't that kind of humanism. It was basically God makes an extravaganza, a public deal all over the world that God will have a people that will worship him. And then the word goes out with that people that all other peoples are beckoned and welcome to worship him as well. See how God's revealing his glory? He can receive all glory. Now, um, it, it's an amazing thing, Genesis, uh, I mean, Exodus, right after that, it says um, the Jethro, right, oh, right after the, they get out of the land, they get across the Red Sea, Jethro was the priest of Midian. He's not just an everyday priest. He's the Grand Poobah. You know, he's, he's like the main guy, Midian, one of the surrounding nations, not a small one. Now, sure, he's married into the family, but he's qualified to speak about religious affairs, right? Right? Contemporary right then. And, and he heard of all that God had done. And Jethro, Exodus 18, verse 9, rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to, to Israel in deliverance from the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of Pharaoh, who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that God, the Lord is greater than all the gods. Remember that God's going to make his name great? Now I know the Lord is greater. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. See, it's the gods. It's the other gods. And, and, and it wasn't fool, a fool, Jethro wasn't fooled at all. It wasn't just the Egyptians are proud. It was the, all these other gods that were, that were uh, raging and ranting and chanting their glory, their ascendancy over the servitude of God's covenant people. And, and Jethro reads all that and says, hey, you know, that was, the Lord is greater than all those guys. Then Jethro, Moses' father, look at the response there. God reveals his glory to all people's wives. Here you see that all, all in a nutshell. Then Jotham, Mar- Mo- Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrificial gifts for God. All of them are just, they're, they're all in the gift category. Nothing for sin offering here. Aaron came with all the elders of Israel, not just some, and to eat the, sac- this is misspelled, sacrificial meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. It wasn't like, ooh, Gentile, yucky, stay away, you know, you know you don't have to do any of this, you know. I'm sure he was married to the family, but... All the elders say, man, that's, a, that's exactly what this is all for. See that? And so, and so right post-Exodus, you find the upstroke already happening. And, uh, and so that, that's why I, 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 you'll find events like that. You'll find the story kind of redounds. It reverberates with us. I'm not giving you all of them. But uh, the mountain, they get to Mount Sinai. And, uh, and look what God says to them there. This is, you know, classic passage. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now then, who do you bring? To himself. We start off the class saying, we're, we're really just being theocentric, God-centered. He's the middle. He's the point. There's not, it, it, it's not like he's trying to get us saved and get us to heaven and he's a buddy God. Whenever we need any help, we're just calling him George Burns style of show. It's not the Santa Claus where we're the middle and he comes back and forth from the North Pole. He's not the out. He's the middle. He's the center. So I draw, I draw you on eagle's wings to myself. Why? Now then, if you obey my voice 
and keep my covenant, then you should be my own special treasure among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. See, it's not like he was just getting a people. He already had the peoples, but he wanted to have elevate, to exalt this special people as a worship people, as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, this distinctive near near to me nation. That doesn't mean they're brokers. They're not go-betweens. They're just holy to me. Holiness has only one singular direction to it. It's but remember that, that, that passage says, Oh, you think you're holier than thou? You say that? That's supposed to be obscenely rude and a joke. It's supposed to be so silly, it's ridiculous. It's absurd to be holier than someone else. Because you're either it's it's a it's a total it's a totalic thing. You're either holy or not. And it's because you're holy before the one holy God who says, yes, I'll have you just like this. And it changes you, purifies and, and draws you near to himself. Or you're not. It's, it's absolute category, holy or not. And so God says, I'm going to have you not a holier nation, but the holy nation. Other people can join themselves to you, but that's it. Now, at that altar, at, I mean at that mountain, here's what happened. Um, turn, to, turn to Exodus 19 and then um, you, you look on, on uh, I wish you could see in this. I wish you could hear this. I think I've seen and heard this in my soul. I think I've felt earthquakes in my being on this. I tremble a little bit. I don't know. Maybe God struck me. Maybe it could strike you with this. I don't know. But you have to behold this a full blaze. Then uh, they came near the mountain and um, be ready in the third day. Verse 16 of chapter 19 of Exodus. It came about in the third day when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. A very loud trumpet sound. I wish you could hear a trumpet sound. What if you heard a trumpet sound? It was just blasting. And it was, it was, like, it was like 500 trumpets at once, but it was just one. But it kept getting louder. It wasn't just like, what's that noise? What do you think? It was like, it was so alerting that it, 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 it summoned every fiber of your being and it wouldn't stay the same. It would only get more intense. And it was intense more than it was loud. It was just a blast. And that, was just the, that was just the trumpet. Meanwhile, the sound of it, meanwhile, the ground is shaking. Like this. I mean, I've been in earthquakes and it's like not a calm experience. And the smoke... And it was this violent shaking. The sound of the trumpet, verse 19, got louder and louder. And Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. He says, God Almighty. <laughs> on top of all that. You know, and the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. The Lord called him Moses. And Moses went up. He said, whoa, there goes that guy. And, uh, and Moses came down to tell him something. Part of what he told him, verse 18, this is where will you be. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And they said, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but let not God speak to us, lest we die. Then Moses said, Do not be afraid, and don't be terrorized, because the Lord has come to test you, and or that the fear of him, not the terror of him, but the fear, the true, clean, lovely, always examined utterly fear of the Lord may be remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance, and Moses approached the cloud. Now here's my point about, about everyday altars. 
and this goes on and on forever. This is a this is a standard deal. I suppose it, it's in effect now. The Lord said to Moses, You shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from the heaven. You shall not make any other gods besides me. The gods of silver, gods of gold, you shall not make for themselves. Just a little reminder so they didn't do what they were about to do. Um, you shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, and every place where I cause my name to be remembered. Look at this. I will come to you. I will bless you. The last phrase in verse 22 is amazing. I have spoken to you from heaven. It's open heaven worship. How do you worship with open heaven? You don't get filigree and goo You don't get all special. You just plain dirt hill. Rocks. Don't even chip them out. Just make a hill of rocks and bring your gift. And, and, and you can tell this is spiritual worship from the first. It's not like, well, that was just legalistic Old Testament you know, stuff. Passed away now. We don't do that anymore. You know, we may not do that anymore, but this is still vital and real and altogether spiritual. It was, it was substance. And these people were bringing their gift. It says, I'll come to you. Just don't get fancy and think it's in the way you do it. But don't clamber on top of this without skivvies on. I mean, I mean, just dress yourself, all right? So you get that. Wear underwear. And so there's protocol, but not much. It's, it, 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 it's decency, but simplicity. Because God wants to come. So I'm approachable. In all the unapproachable noise, God's saying that you can always come near me. Very interesting. Bring your gifts. Never worship without gifts. Now the gifts are going to shift, as we'll see, but, uh, but it's very interesting. Now, chapter 24, after all this shaking, and Moses comes down. He says, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. There are 70 elders. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord. They shall not come up, nor shall we will come up with them. And they all came up, and, the, and, and Moses gave them all the, all the law that God wanted to give, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken to us, we will do. Verse 3. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, 12 pillars, which are covenant sealing things usually.